us dancing to the Ammer beat. This week, after a couple weeks of having guests on, it's just me and Mac catching you up on everything you might have missed. We'll talk about new mayors, new waste bins, new housing, and probably some old stuff. But we take our cues from city council and just focus on the new and exciting stuff. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 121, where it is the year anniversary of the city recognizing that the pandemic is really real and shutting everything down. Yeah, we've been recording remotely now for the last year after, you know, a year before that, two years before that, where I would come to your house every Thursday. And I got to say, today, as we're recording March 18th, Facebook memories popped up my eulogy post. It was just 365 days ago today that I was eulogizing the end of my streak. For those who aren't longtime listeners, last year, before the pandemic started, I had something every day. I filled my calendar with going out and doing something new and exciting every single day. I was on a 216-day streak going for the big 365, and well, a pandemic's a sure good way to stop that. I think that's a good excuse for not keeping that streak alive. But there's no excuse not to jump into the rapid-fire segment. Edmonton City Council this week has rejected a proposal to build a crematorium in central Edmonton. In an in-private discussion, councillors all agreed that disposing of their political rivals so close to City Hall was simply too risky, and diligence would be required in these council culture times. A candidate for mayor is asking Edmontonians if the lack of green space and parks is turning them off enjoying and visiting our downtown. Reputable science has reliably shown that getting out into nature has incredible positive outcomes, and even just looking at green space near you can have immense benefits for overall happiness and mental health. That's why Cheryl Watson this week began exploring increasing the broad availability of green spaces and public parks in the downtown. Wait, what? Is she's talking about vehicle parking? I guess we're truly testing whether it's better to have bad policy or stick to the method most of the other mayoral candidates do and release no policy at all. News organizations were all abuzz this week about the gargantuan white humanoid in front of Edmonton City Hall. And guys, I know he's retiring, but for Pete's sake, you can be a little nicer to Don Iveson. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. And with Pod Power, our sponsors are making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. This episode, Edmonton Community Foundation is helping us give a Pod Power shout out to Overdue Finds, an Edmonton Public Library podcast. Bryce Cretenden and Caroline Land host conversations about books, movies, music, pop culture, and other interesting news about Edmonton. It's a great way to learn about what's happening at the EPL and how you can use your library card to access all of EPL's in-person and online services. To listen and find out more about Overdue Finds, head to epl.ca slash podcast. So top of this episode, I think we've got to address the title, um, which is probably frustrating to both Andrew Knack and Amarjee Sohi. And that's Andrew Knack announcing that he will not be running for mayor in 2021, but rather pursuing re-election in his new old ward of Nakoda Iska. That's right. He announced today at one o'clock. We're recording this on Thursday, March 18th. Lots of buildup for this. He had been promoting a big announcement on Thursday all week long. 
and ultimately decided that his uh, talents would best be put to use as another member of council rather than as the person leading the council as mayor. Uh, one thing that jumped out right away to me in his announcement, he said, quote, with at least five new councillors guaranteed to be starting in 2021, having experienced voices to help people succeed will be necessary for the long-term success of our city. So that's Councillor Knack putting the city ahead of his own ambitions, I think. There is a trail of breadcrumbs in this post that I think can very clearly be followed by an enterprising listener. I think you revealed the first breadcrumb, which is, you know, experienced voices on council are important. Knack is an experienced voice. Ergo, losing an election, which he's unlikely to do as a councillor in Nakota Isga, mm-hmm. would probably be a negative. Right. Um, and then there were some more breadcrumbs sprinkled through. The next one I think stands out. He said, over the last few months, I've had the opportunity to engage various candidates looking to serve as your next mayor. And through those conversations, I believe there will be one or more candidates who I share similar values with. Okay, so he's backing out of the mayoral run because he's really liking what Oshri or Chrishell or maybe even Watson is putting down. I I get it. Are there any any more breadcrumbs for us to munch on? Yeah, he did leave that open. One or more candidates. But the next one, I think, kind of hints at who it might be. He said, quote, while having someone with those values is the most important thing for me when considering who will serve as our next mayor, I also believe a mayor who better reflects the diversity of our city would be best suited to address the serious issue of equity in Edmonton. Can I get an Amarjeet Sohi from the crowd? <laughs> I think you can. This is basically confirming Sohi is running. Uh, I mean, without actively confirming that Sohi is running. I think at this point, speaking municipally, let's get an imaginary banner in everyone's head, the breaking news, election coverage. Speaking municipally is willing to project at this point <laughs> that Amarjeet Sohi will be running for mayor of Edmonton in October 2021. Uh, It's an open secret that both men had been considering running for mayor, and I'm sure all of the folks who are running for mayor are having conversations, as uh, Councillor Knack indicated in his post. So I think that's probably a fairly safe projection. He hasn't confirmed, we should be clear, former councillor, so he has not confirmed, but seems like a good sign, right? Yeah. And it seems like a very, like you said, open secret. I think my favorite tweet came from Aaron Paquette in response to uh, Elise Stolte's sharing of the article about this. Aaron said, quote, this is guaranteed. The determination was based purely on the consideration of how to best serve Edmontonians. So that's a comment from someone who's clearly (laughs) in the know that there was negotiations happening and Andrew put the good of Edmontonians ahead of his own ambitions. Yeah. As I said, it's not confirmed that so he's running, but it seems likely. But what is confirmed, another thing that jumped out at me from... uh, Andrew's post was that he said, in fact, for many months over the last year, I was certain I would run to serve Edmontonians as your next mayor. So he evidently only came to the decision not to run for mayor relatively recently. And all of the previous rumors about him making a run for the mayor's seat were true. I hate to say Mike Nickel was right, so I won't. Let's move on to the financial update. The city of Edmonton, we had reported previously or maybe not. It's hard to tell what we reported in previous weeks, but we came ahead with a $40.2 million surplus in 2020. Thanks to early pandemic budget adjustments, which I think is coded language for laying off basically everyone. Yeah, as you can recall back in April of last year, not long after 
you know, the, the pandemic was declared to be serious, as you said off the top. Uh, they adjusted the budget in a very significant way. They knew with transit being shut down and rec centers being shut down that there would be a decline in revenue. They knew there'd be increased expenses for cleaning protocols and things like that. And so this $40.2 million surplus is compared to that adjusted budget. And as listeners will know, they adjust the budget multiple times throughout the year, but um, we're really comparing back to April there. And the surplus uh, really came from smaller than anticipated declines in that revenue, except for transit. Transit was lower than projected. So transit really took a hit in 2020 in terms of uh, both revenue and the drop in usage, um, and also then the increased expenses to keep it all clean and, and safe and, and running smoothly. So out of that $40 million surplus, which is a, I think, welcome surprise, they're not spending it all right away. What council decided to do is take uh, almost $25 million of it and put it into the reserve so that they could use it for future pandemic response. So they're anticipating that they might need to extend shelter operations. They might need to assist with the COVID-19 vaccine rollout. So they've been talking about turning the Edmonton Expo Center into a place where you can go to get your vaccine. There might be requests from nonprofit organizations who have struggled financially, and they could also potentially use some of that $25 million to increase supports to businesses and add new economic programs. You talked about part of the financial stabilization being potentially used to extend shelter space and potentially used for COVID response. And of course, one of the biggest responses that we've made during COVID-19 was to those who are houseless, uh, either providing shelter space, establishing rapid housing plans. I recall Iveson really petitioning the federal government for cheap hotel space. COVID-19 has very much accelerated and put a button on the need for addressing the houselessness problem in Edmonton. And we got a little bit of an announcement in that regard. There was a couple of announcements, actually. So the federal government has stepped up to the plate to support the city's efforts in this area. So the first announcement was some money to buy a 34-unit building for uh, Indigenous housing in the Northeast. So that's a victory for Iveson's agenda on housing. Council's agenda on housing, I should say, they've been pretty unanimous in their support of that. Uh, the next announcement was nearly $25 million for four different housing projects. So three of these are supportive housing. Um, another one is to expand a low-income seniors home. So, I mean, this is all positive federal support for ensuring that there is supportive and affordable housing in Edmonton. Uh, every, everybody who reported on that this week noted that, you know, the city had previously asked the provincial government for six million bucks for some of these projects. And that request is still outstanding, of course. The other announcement that came was from council itself, though, and this came after they were reviewing the latest update on the Herb Jameson Center. So this is being redeveloped by the Hope Mission. It's going to accommodate 400 people now. It's slated to open this fall. And during that discussion, they brought up this idea of having some standards for our emergency shelters. All I could say about this item was, really, it took... What, a decade or two of the end poverty Edmonton strategy, a pandemic, so many hundreds of millions in spending for us to decide, hey, this area that we're forcing people to with police after kicking them out of transit shelters should have a minimum standard of being humane. I don't know that we needed a policy to get here, but clearly we did. Or a pandemic, for that matter. I think there was kind of two interesting schools of thought on what it means to have standards on a shelter. So Councillor Nickel was the one who raised this idea a couple of weeks ago, and he talked about 
making sure that there were three meals a day, that there were longer opening hours, you know, things that he thought should be obvious to support vulnerable people. The other line of discussion on this was really about the size of these things. So not so much what they offer necessarily, but, but but how big they are. And it's almost like the opposite of the conversation we have with rec facilities, because we always talk about how, you know, wouldn't it be great if we had many smaller rec facilities that would provide a better experience? And the argument against it is that they're too expensive. It's much cheaper to run one giant facility. And here, you know, we know it's cheaper to run a larger facility. And that's what, um, you know, the new Herb Jameson, for instance, is 400 people is pretty big. But McKean and Iveson and others were suggesting that it's too impersonal and it would be better to serve those people if they were smaller. I think one other cynical read of this motion is to actually look at, okay, so if these are the minimum standards that are being proposed, are these standards already being met by our shelter spaces? Because it's really great optically to make a motion that says let's do what we're already doing but make it my idea that could be a really cool way to get yourself in a news cycle not (laughs) suggesting that's what happened um but were these standards something that we should change homeless shelters to be doing or is this more of a codifying what we're already doing I think there are some concrete things that they're looking at changing. So Councillor McKean, for instance, talked about, you know, how these shelters evict people in the morning. And that could be a real challenge in, you know, the middle of a pandemic still. We're coming out of that and recovering, hopefully, but things are still not open. And uh, that's a problem. And it's a big problem in the winter. And I think we've seen as you kind of mentioned, a huge mobilization through the pandemic to better support people who are experiencing homelessness. And and maybe that's just, you know, brought the issue more front and center in the minds of these counselors. And and they've identified that there are some concrete things that we could do that would improve the situation. So it's not that they're doing a bad job necessarily, but there's lots of things I think that could be improved. So what are the next steps on this set of minimum standards? Because we know council works slow. So what what material changes are likely to come from this? Well, as you can probably guess, the motion is to direct administration to analyze options and to gather more information. So that's what's initially happening. Um, I think they'll continue to push for you know permanent housing and how to transition people from shelters into permanent housing. But in the short term, I'm not sure much is going to change here. One thing that will be changing in the relatively short term for many Edmontonians is waste collection. We are now joining the 20th century with uh, waste cart collection. No, Troy didn't make an error about what century we are currently in. (laughs) And the city of Edmonton will be doing automated waste cart collection. Automated in so far as a garbage man doesn't specifically need to grab a bag, but manual in the sense that the truck needs to be controlled as it grips the cart and dumps it in the trunk. Waste carts will be deploying starting basically now to some houses in uh, Edmonton and then in a sort of phased rollout over the summer, uh, ending, I believe, in August. Yeah, August 31. So between now and then, 250,000 homes apparently will receive these new garbage and food scraps carts. I've had to do a double take when you said automated. I was like, do we get robotic pickup? You know, like they deliver pizzas with robotic cars. Maybe they could figure out how to pick up garbage, but evidently not. The other interesting thing about these carts is there's two sizes and you had some thoughts on that. 
like most Edmontonians who are in the same circles as me, I'm interested in the climate emergency and I'm interested in reducing my waste total. So when I heard that there were a couple different cart sizes, I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll get the smaller one. I'm only a two person household. I don't need a 240 liter garbage cart, especially with organics being separated. Do you know how much you throw out on a regular basis now? Like, do you know how much garbage you throw out on a week? Honestly, no, because when I'm finished with a garbage bag, I put it out on my back step without putting it in the garbage bin until there's like four or five piled up on them after a month or so. And then I panic after the birds get into them and throw them (laughs) in the garbage bin. So, you know, in many ways, this cart system will improve not just my experience, not just the ecological experience, but my neighbor's experience when they get food scraps strewn all over their lawns for the birds. (laughs) That's fair enough. I I, I only ask because to me, like 240 liters is huge. That is so much garbage. I I think that equates to like six big black Costco bags of garbage every two weeks. And that's not even including organics. Um, So yeah, I was like, absolutely. I'll get a 120 liter cart. I only found out about the 120 liter cart because like I follow the news for this podcast and there was one time I'm like, oh, shoot, I should do that. I logged onto the website and asked for like bill information or account numbers. And I'm like, just let me log in. I'm on my property. I'll do this later. Never did it later. Never got any reminders about it. So I'm going to get a 240 liter cart shipped to my house. And you have to wait until April 6th at the earliest to start exchanging that. And they really don't seem to want you to exchange it. They want you to give it a shot first, like as if you're going to be so wowed by how big the garbage cart is that you're not going to want to give it back or something. We got the big carts, the best carts. Also, apropos of not that much, but if I was going to get two carts and one of them is an organics cart, that's 120 liters. And then I have this bigger garbage cart, like the aesthetics of my alley is really going to get thrown off. And I'm not about that. So for that reason alone, I'm going to be downgrading the smaller cart, uh, which I can only apparently do once. Uh, Once I make the mistake of choosing one or the other, take backsies are real, real no, no. Well, you just have to pay for it. They're going to charge you $18.50 plus a service charge. So you just got to be sure. Also, if you haven't, I encourage you to go check out the welcome booklet about this because they spell out in in quite a comical detail, like you must have a meter between the carts, three meters above the carts. There's all these nice art pictures they've drawn of where you can put the carts. It's something else. One interesting thing to note as I'm perusing this welcome booklet that you just sent me is... I believe this has changed from the initial recommendations. When this program was announced, I was pretty concerned that there was no legal space on my property that this garbage cart could be because Mm -hmm. it really stressed the need to have flat. And I don't know about anyone else's alleys, but I have a very sloped pad and then there's nothing flat about the alley itself. It looks like several landmines have erupted (laughs) or someone was making soup in uh, different parts of the road because there's some great potholes there. Um, Yeah. As far as I'm seeing, it seems to be legal in this uh, booklet. So I guess we'll see when I get my 240 liter cart. They complain about pickup. And meanwhile, I will continue living in garbage cart bliss, living in a multifamily home. Yeah, well, 
Mac, I think the thing that we understand is that if you live in a multifamily dwelling, you have a vested interest in destroying the environment because you have <laughs> an unsustainable method of living. So we really don't want to focus our efforts on you. Uh, makes sense. Speaking of focusing our efforts on the wrong places, Council made itself just a little bit less transparent this week. I was going through the uh, agendas and, and the meeting minutes, as I always do, and there's a bylaw this week about council procedures, and I was looking for this in particular because that one of the changes it includes is to make agendas uh, available 10 days before the meeting. So this is a victory for those of us that want to read the agendas before the meeting takes place, because instead of having three days, we now have 10. So that's a, that's a positive thing. Uh, but while I was looking in this, I noticed that there were some other what they call housekeeping amendments, and they were made specifically because of the Red Tape Reduction Implementation Act that the province passed. And uh, in particular, I didn't realize this, but apparently this Red Tape Reduction Act removes this requirement that used to be in place to record not only the names of people who go to in-private meetings, but also the reason. So if council decides they're going to talk about something in private, Previous to this bylaw amendment, they had to record in the minutes anybody who was in the room for those private discussions and the reason that they were allowed to attend. And now, because of this change, they no longer need to do that. So this was a change that we made while we had just won the award for the most open city in North America. For the fifth year in a row. <laughs> I think the story there is very low bar to clear because we're winning this award while we're making this change, which sounds to me like it's pretty bad for transparency and openness. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you and I were having this discussion, like just because it's changed in the provincial legislation doesn't mean that the city council couldn't choose to have something more restrictive. So administration said they will continue to follow the practice of recording the name of who's present and answered questions, but they're not going to have to have this reason for why people were there. Seems like a bad change. This wouldn't be the first time that the city might have chosen to break with provincial regulations. Just a few months ago, we were talking about if the UCP does not enact stricter measures, both Edmonton and Calgary were saying, we're going to use our authority as the city to enact stricter measures because we think these more strict controls are beneficial to society. I don't know why openness is different there. Yeah. Well, I guess caveat there. Openness is slightly less important than a global pandemic that has killed hundreds <laughs> of thousands of people. I want to get that on the record that I True, do understand yes. that. Though, if you go on Twitter, you may find some people that found even worse news than the pandemic this week, which was scooters are rolling back in the city of Edmonton, which I'm told from my Twitter feed is cataclysmic. The end times are here. These things are back. On Wednesday afternoon, Lime rolled out 100 scooters. That was their initial relaunch uh, account. And the press release about this said that Edmonton was the first city in Canada that they were returning scooters to. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And then I was reminded that they don't even allow them in places like Toronto. So maybe it's not all that impressive. Last year, Edmontonians took 500,000 trips on Lime scooters. We understand that Bird is going to be relaunching their scooters in the next couple of weeks as well. So we've had this podcast going for like three years. We've talked about scooters almost every one of the years. I'm not really interested in rehashing the discussion of these scooters are good. They can be a nuisance sometimes. Some people can be jerks, but people will be jerks no matter what tools you give them to be jerks with. 500,000 trips in things that aren't cars. Why isn't that in the city plan? Like any other mode of transportation and we would be hearing this is 
the greatest win and the massive mode shift in transportation that we've seen in the past decade. Like, what am I missing here? Yeah, no, I think you're right. And Calgary, if I'm not mistaken, was, I think, like per capita the most trips for e-scooters. Like, I mean, there's an incredible number of trips made in both Edmonton and Calgary on scooters. And they seem like, a, as you say, a great thing for multimodal transportation. We should be celebrating that. It sounds like the companies are celebrating and there's a talk of ramping up the scooters uh, deployed in Edmonton. Yeah, so they're allowed to have 250 right now, but then starting in April, the city says they can ramp up to an overall total of 3,000 scooters on Edmonton streets. So they had vendor licenses for 2020. Those have been renewed and along with that renewal is this increased number of scooters. To clarify, Right now, you know, each operator, Lime and Bird, is allowed a fleet of 250. Right. The ramp up would be for a total. So if there were only two providers, each would only be allowed 1,500. Sure. It's not scooter apocalypse, though. You know, (laughs) if you're over the age of 45, you probably think it is. I want to ask you one other thing about scooters before we move on, Troy. So in the journal, when they reported on this, they cited a study from Emory University in the U.S. And they said that across four cities, they found that scooters, every scooter... Each scooter on the street led to $1,045 in revenue for nearby businesses and especially for restaurants. And they figured out that this equates to $3 million in sales in Edmonton. And now my first reaction is this is made up economic numbers as we always hear about. But what do you think? You're probably right in the same way that I won't say that, you know, tourism increases X amount and we make hundreds of millions for hosting a soccer game or whatever like that. Yeah. But I will say that look at people using a scooters. Tell me if they aren't lounging around in the public realm or if they're just commuting to a destination. Because the biggest complaint with people on scooters is that they're in the public space. Oh, they're using the sidewalk on White Ave as they jump between coffee shops. I have no problems believing that scooter users increase sales because the time I use scooters most frequently is when I've commuted via transit or something downtown and I have three events to go to and they're like 10 blocks apart and I need to zip between them. Scooters are absolutely perfect for that. Yep. Definitely. All right. We've got a couple other small things we want to mention. So we're going to rapid fire at the end through them quickly. Except serious rapid fire this time. (laughs) Serious rapid fire. (laughs) So the bus network redesign is launching on April 25th. I assume council has had final sign off and everything and all the reports have come through council by now. Not exactly. They were supposed to get an update this week and then has been postponed to April 12th. Two weeks before the launch. So I hope there's nothing serious in this update. I've worked in bureaucratic organizations before. And if you really know that your project isn't succeeding and you want to slip some stuff through, it's just you do the presentation to management right before the deadline and nothing can change anyway. I'm not saying Edmonton Transit is doing (laughs) that, but I did read a Reddit thread where people were posting their commutes and they had to walk 30 minutes and take six transfers. So we'll see. The Edmonton Exhibition Lands Planning Framework has received a third reading. Mac, to be honest, I don't know what I just read. (laughs) So this is the plan for the Northlands grounds and what's going to happen there. Um, You know, this was a big deal when it first came to public hearing and people talked about the plan and what it would mean and these uh, transit-oriented areas around there. And people talked about this a lot. And now it's kind of in that bureaucratic process where it just needs approval. So... They passed first and second reading. After that, it had to go to the regional board, which it got approval for on February 4th, came back to council this week for final approval. I'll say until the Coliseum is demolished, 
I don't believe this whole thing is anything other than make-believe pretend time. Until we can commit the very basic act of getting that big defunct building off that land, we don't really have any material plans to use that land for anything. That's probably fair. Yeah. (laughs) That is a pretty critical aspect of the whole thing. And speaking of sunsetting some things, three council initiatives are now complete. Yeah, they paused all of their council initiatives, all 24 of them last year because of the pandemic, of course. They've now restarted a bunch of them, but three of them are done. One was on community hubs, one was on public engagement, and the other was Edmonton's Next Gen, which is not actually really a thing at the city anymore. It's now separate from the city. Which, I mean, is fair. Next Gen, they organized some things you might have seen, like Pecha Kucha Nights. They partnered with Sonic to do a sort of concert series where you only got in by putting in your volunteer hours. Uh, They're basically making Edmonton cool for the under 40s. And they sort of spun off and are funded as a nonprofit organization now. Next Gen is an example of an organization that planned for and embraced change. And we want to tell you about ATB's new podcast, The Future Of. You can join Todd Hirsch, ATB's vice president and chief economist, as he connects with special guests who offer unique and useful perspectives about the future. Explore how our economy and communities can not only brace for change, but embrace the opportunity it creates. It features two episodes each month, plus bonus episodes, and the future of includes interviews with top community and business leaders from Alberta and around the world. You can subscribe to the future of on the Apple Store, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. And you can connect to ask your questions about the future by emailing thefutureof at atb.com. I guess that's all for this week. Consider yourself newsed. We have wrapped up everything and now we are ready to get into the next week and talk about whatever council wants to talk about, which knowing council will be planning to make a change to establish a framework to continue to set outcomes for some future task. Followed by the inevitable pilot. (laughs) Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally.